0: Once we got to China, uh, first thing I was seeing was my mother getting, getting raped and they sold us into sex slaves. Because of the one child policy, there are more than 33 million men in China cannot find wives. But they buy North Korean girls like livestock and buy them as sex toys. Uh, she was for, sold for $65. I was sold for over $20. and. Two years of slavery in China, I met missionaries from South Korea who were rescuing North Koreans. And they told us there was a way out of China, which means that we had to walk across the frozen Gobi Desert into Mongolia by foot.
1: BattleLine Podcast, you guys see the title. We have one of our biggest guests to date ever on BattleLine Podcast, Yanmi Park. For uh, basically an entire hour, sit down about the new book. Uh, You guys know her very well from the first book, if you saw her in Rogan and all that. But the newest book is While Time Remains, A North Korean Defector's Search for Freedom in America. We talk about the rise of creeping communism and socialism in the U.S., as well as her escaping a dictatorship of North Korea, fleeing to China, and then eventually fleeing to America, really eye-opening stuff that you guys are going, going to want to hear. Before we get into it, Ned CBD, the absolute best. None of this crap imported from China, straight from Colorado. But uh, if you've if you've only tried their CBD and you haven't let yet tried their sleep blend. You really have to. Now, 70 million Americans have chronic sleep issues, and 50% of Americans deal with sleep deprivation. You've probably dealt with this at some point in your life, and I know how difficult that could be. One of our favorite brands, Ned, is here to help you with their incredible new product, Shut Eye Chai. It's inspired by 5,000 years of ancient healing tradition, and this is Ned's biggest product launch to date. It's a mellow super blend latte for sleep. It tastes Incredible. I love this stuff. And as much as I use the CBD for sleep, this is a product made specifically for sleep. CBD has so many uses in terms of, uh, you know, if you're having fatigue issues, if you're having uh, joint pain or or really any pain. It's been tremendous for that or post-traumatic stress. But this is a different product and this actually doesn't contain any CBD. uh, And it's it's made from mushrooms and different botanicals. Uh, really incredible stuff: fungi, herbs, plants, minerals, roots, spices, and Ned products have helped me perform at my most optimal, doing great interviews like this one that you're going to hear with Yunmi Park. So discover how shut eye Chai can revolutionize your sleep and get 15% off with the code Battleline. That's helloned.com/battleline or enter Battleline at checkout. You really got to check this out and learn more about it from the site. I also have the shut eye chai book that they gave The little good night moon with, uh, with the founders of Ned. love those guys. We're going to have Rhett back on the show soon too, from Ned. So once again, hello, ned.com slash battle line, H E L L O N E D.com slash battle line sweet dreams. Now let's get over to the interview.
2: You are now tuned into the BattleLine Podcast.
1: The Switch is on BattleLine Podcast. Very honored to be joined by a very special guest, I genuinely say would say one of the biggest guests we've had on the show, Yanmi Park, author of Wild Time Remains, A North Korean Defector's Search for Freedom in America, out now through Simon & Schuster. I mean, a lot of people really know your first book, which is In Order to Live, A North Korean Girl's Journey to Freedom. There's that crossover with Joe Rogan and all the other great podcasts you've been on. And uh, yeah, it's it's an honor to have you on.
0: Oh, thank you. so nice to meet you.
1: Absolutely. So, I you know, I want to get into, of course, what you're working on in the new book and all the great work that you've done, the TED Talks, um, all the all the charity work you do with Link, for example, with Link, uh, Liberty in North Korea, a non-profit organization focused on rescuing North Korean refugees hiding in China and bringing them to South Korea, America as well. Um, but for people who don't know your story, I mean, there's plenty of people who listened to the Rogan interview and all your other appearances, but if you'd like to get into your journey of just growing up in North Korea and fleeing to uh, China and eventually America, I think people would love to hear it because it's it's remarkable.
0: Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I was born in North Korea, in the northern part of the country. And luckily, when I was by the time I was 13 years old, I, I was living in a border town. So at nighttime, I was able to see the lights coming from China. And by this time, North Korea was systemically starved by the regime. Uh, we were, the regime decided that if they don't feed us, it's easier to control the people. Because, you know, if we don't eat, we are not gonna think about, you know, the meaning of life or freedom. Only thing we are going to be busy dealing with every day is surviving, finding the next meal. So that's why the regime chose to starve us. And then of course, when I was growing up in North Korea, I did not know what internet was. I never even seen a map of the world. I did not even know that I was oppressed. The first thing my mother told me as a young girl was not even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me. And by 13, we couldn't find any more food. So we decided to risk our lives for a bowl of rice. My sister escaped to China at 16. And then a few days later, when I was 13 years old, I crossed the same a frozen river into China to search for her and finding food. Once we got to China, uh, first thing I was seeing was my mother getting getting raped and they sold us into sex slaves. Because of the one child policy, there are more than 33 million men in China cannot find wives. so they buy North Korean girls like livestock and buy them as sex toys. Uh, she was for, sold for $65. I was sold for over $200. And two years of slavery in China, I met missionaries from South Korea who were rescuing North Koreans. And they told us there was a way out of China, which means that we had to walk across the frozen Gobi Desert into Mongolia by foot. So I did that when I was 15 years old, survived the desert and got to South Korea in 2009 and that was my escape story
1: (laughs) yeah which is incredible I mean because from from an American perspective we do hear about the difference the total difference in culture in South Korea and North Korea and we've had people on the podcast who have been stationed at the DMZ and all that and Mm -hmm. it sounds like for you what we know it's like a total media blackout you don't even know that there's another world out there
0: yeah it's like literally a black hole of information Nothing gets in, and it's the information control works both ways. It works how the regime conceals themselves from the outside world. You know, as a journalist, nobody can go to North Korea and then start filming and you know start writing about it because people have no cannot go to North Korea. If they go, sure. it's completely controlled by the state. Sanctioned they tour with a tour guide, so they never get to see the reality of North Korea, and the North Korean people don't even have the passport. They are not even free to move around between the countries, so completely it is an isolated country from everybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, the closest thing to someone going over, and I, you, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, but it's like it's a complete propaganda tour, was when Dennis Rodman went over, and they had that mm-hmm. big bang in Pyongyang, and I, did you see that documentary by any chance?
0: I did not see the Dennis Rodman documentary, but I saw his interviews doing uh, with the CNN while he was drunk in Pyongyang, and <laughs> yeah and, and i mean eat. sing
1: happy birthday to kim yeah. jong-un and you know dear leader and all that and and also if you watch the documentary the the basketball players from north korea they're all repeating the same line of what seems like propaganda of being there there was one person on the team who said something a little differently than the rest of them but it seems like everything is in line of just this is how you're going to interact with the press this is the script you're going to give and and that's all
0: yeah, it's a, everything is trained beforehand, and North Korean people, for them, seeing the dear leader is a lifetime honor. It's a comparing to a person who met a god in North Korea. It's a in Korean, or like Young is like where you see the son of this universe. And if you so, those people who even get to see him Dongjae, the basketball players, they are the elite of the elite in North Korea, and sure. even then, they have no freedom to say what they want.
1: So when did you actually come to America and when did you learn about America and and just the complete polar opposite in terms of, and you get into this in your new book, but freedom and liberty and all of these ideals that we are at least supposed to have over here, as opposed to where you were, which is under a complete tyranny dictatorship?
0: So I heard about America, of course, in North Korean classrooms, you know, even in my math uh, problems were like this. There are four American ambassadors, we killed 12 of them. Then how many American ambassadors left to kill? <laughs> and they showed us these posters of Americans, the drawings, because we don't have internet. They're not gonna show the Brad Pitt to us, right? <laughs> they yeah. really draw this monstrous looking, uh, like this cold-blooded reptiles taking teeth out of our women, torturing our children like, you know, burning our people, that kind of very really scary posters of Americans. So all our lives, we believed that Americans were our sworn enemies. You know, we had to fight to death with them because they were trying to attack us. So by the time I went to South Korea, that's when they were started telling us that Americans are not monsters. They're human beings just like us. And they have warm blood. That was very shocking just to hear that they have one blood. And then, and then like they live in a, you know, democracy. So I came to America in 2013 for the first time to do a Bible study in Tyler, Texas. And I remember getting off from that flight from Seoul, Incheon to Houston. So I had a layoff and I I was very afraid. Like, is this people in me? What these other people do, right? And when I got to Houston and there was like, men in their hoodies holding their children's hands eating chips and just mm-hmm. Americans are so chill and they're smiling right and I, that's when I realized like lie doesn't have power we don't have to fear this propaganda and lies because when I just saw the Americans for the first time in my life that all the just went away
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's absolutely incredible. So when you say that you were on there with missionaries, did you, Mm. because I know you've spoken about this before, how in North Korea, like the religion is the state, the God, Mm -hmm. as you said, is Kim Jong-un. So were you converted to Christianity in South Korea?
0: So my, so I was rescued by Christians for, like, initially, right, in China, the Christians from South Korea came and their mission was saving us spiritually and also physically, they made sure that we heard about God and Jesus Christ. And for the price of us becoming believers, they were going to rescue us. And they did rescue us from China to Mongolia. Uh, at the time, actually, when I was living as a sex slave and, you know, as a fish in China, you know, I became a believer, but I don't think that was even a real thing because I was so desperate to survive. If somebody brought a rock to me and asked me to believe it, and that's how you're going to survive, hmm. I would believe it, right? Sure. So, and then like what you said, right? These uh, Christians, some of them were very judgmental. They said, you know, what I have done to survive in China, which was being raped by these traffickers were very shameful. And I was a child and I was couldn't believe that I was being judged for what I had to do to survive, and it was not even my fault that I was born in North Korea. And then I came to America many years later, and I became a mother five years ago, and that's when I just becoming a believer. But initially, I had this like atheist period where like I was so upset at any kind of belief or any kind of dogma, you know. Yeah. And especially North Korea copied the Bible, exactly. They copied the Bible and said that God, was, which was Kim Il-sung, loved us so much. He gave us his son, was Kim Jong-il. His body dies, but his spirit with us all the time. He knows what we're thinking, how much hair on our head. And like it, ten, 10 commandments was translated there, 10 commandments. It was completely the same Bible they are copying. So that really made me to initially get like really despising it. You know, it felt like it was the same thing.
1: So I want to fast forward to you come to Mm -hmm. America. You write this book, and this book becomes massively popular. Honestly, because of the fact that so few people have done what you've done, and then came forward and said, "I'm going to write about this." I'm sure the few that do live in America that did flee North Korea they don't get the opportunity to write a book as you did. And some of them would probably rather leave this in the past and never speak about it again and blend in with the culture. So how did this all come about? How did the idea come about to say, I want to put this story out there. I want Americans to know what really goes on in North Korea. And how do you get approached by Simon & Schuster, which leads to interviews Mm -hmm. with some of the top journalists and podcasters like Joe Rogan out there? I mean, it's an amazing success story based on a very tragic story.
0: Yeah, it's exactly like you said, there's only 100, I mean, 209 nursing defectors in America currently.
1: Wow. Only wow. just above,
0: above 200 made in the last 80 years. That's the mathematical bad. chances of me ending <laughs> up here is very rare. And I think when you survive something like that, and you do have a lot of survivor's guilt, you know, because you know truly that you're not the only one who fought or hard to survive. I just got lucky along the journey. I got rescued by missionaries, like I said. And initially I gave a speech in Dublin and it was nothing special. It was like 36 other speakers there. They gave me like five minute uh, spot to speak, give a speech. And at the time I really thought if I let the world know what's happening under the Chinese Communist Party, how they are sponsoring the dictatorship in North Korea, and how they are enslaving three hundred thousand my like fellow North Korean women in China as sex slaves in the current twenty first century, I thought the world would have take action to stop this. So I shared that story in Dublin, Ireland, and that speech became viewed by almost a billion people. So that got to the publishers, and they were calling me to write my first book. So first book happened by almost an accident like that. And then second book was really active choice of me writing this book was because, you know, after going through all of that, I came to this promised land and I went to Columbia University in New York City. Yeah. I did my BA there and then I had my I have my son here. And then I could not believe what I was seeing, living through the pandemic, living through the BLM protests in that summer, the tactics that the same tendency that I was seeing North Korea was crippling up in America. And people don't recognize the threat that is coming for our liberty in America. So is writing actually standing up against North Korean dictatorship was like less scary than writing second book to standing up against the PC culture actually.
1: I I mean, I think to some that would be it would sound a little bit like hyperbole or exaggeration because of the fact that, yeah, you're in a dictatorship where it's life or death. And here in America, I mean, during the pandemic, right, they would probably just say these are protests. This is part of American culture. We're living through a, you know, at the time, they would say unprecedented pandemic. So I think people would be surprised to hear that that's your perspective.
0: Yeah, I think that's a rare a lot of people don't even want to know what I'm talking about, the 10 same tendencies that is happening because they somehow assume that North Korea became that way just one day. <laughs> we just woke sure. up and if not, current North Korea, it took it took a journey to get there. And during that journey, a lot of things happened and a lot of things people did not fight back. You know, now I come to America at school, I was really appalled by my classmates in their like juice detox. There are problems of having too much food. You know, they are going to gym classes, paying their money to burn off their calories. And most privileged generation of our like world right now is being in America. And they are telling me they are so oppressed. You know, the American system is so evil. And I was asking them, what about America that you hate so much that you want to destroy this country? And these are Columbia Ivy League educated kids. And they were telling me, you know what, this system is so horrible, the capitalism is so greedy that we have homeless people and we have inequality, there are billionaires. And that was a sign of the evilness of capitalism. And as a North Korean to me is like, you have a right not to work. In North Korea, if you choose not to work, you're sent to political prison camp. You don't have not right not to work in communist relation, I mean, dictatorship, you have to work for free as a slave labor. And so the fact that people in, in this country become homeless and choose do nothing about it, that's a sign of freedom to me as a North Korean. Second is that there is people become like Elon Musk, become a billionaires. That in North Korea, we are, all, of course, all equal, but we are dying from starvation. We are so poor.
1: And, so, and in North Korea, I mean, I think it's fair to say all equal except for the ruling class. I mean, Kim Jong-un and his family are, I would say, probably billionaires, right? So.
0: I mean I've, I mean he's uh, he's God, and remaining all of us don't even know what human rights is, right? And I come to America, people know what human rights is, and the fact that their individuals can innovate and start a company and become a billionaire means there is a mobility. that's a sign of progress. that is not a sign of oppression. But this ideology where inequality is evil, like they forget that poverty is evil. poverty is wrong and that's Very dangerous thing but inequality is something that we should almost celebrate and it's not something that we should fight against right and then this idea of equity is the exact same North Korean thing that we need to let's make the equality of outcomes for everybody and the regime promised that equality of outcomes you're going to make sure that everybody is equal so give us your private property give us your freedom of speech your rights and then once you give us all of that, we are going to give you free health care, free education, free housing, free food, free of everything provided by the government.
1: And of course, I mean, the obvious is, is you also don't have the right to bear arms to, to fight back against the government.
0: Yeah. And exactly. It comes to that in America right now that they, people want the free government's free, free tuition. They want free housing. They want the universal income they somehow the governments need to take care of all of us. And that idea is so dangerous, that drove more than hundreds of millions of humanity into death. Nothing has been more dangerous than big government has been ever to individuals. And people don't understand like in America right now, and this toxic ideology, this evil ideology of equity and collectivism were being taught in classrooms, were being taught everywhere in, co- in the country. I think that is a comparison I'm making. It's not that our quality of living currently in America is like North Korean people. But this ideology that are being taught in classrooms everywhere is resembling the ideology North Korea holds.
1: Well, speaking of firearms on the show, as you may have heard, uh, Fort Scott Munitions, right? The best ammo out there. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact TUI and soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammo being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, but... You can go to the website and get a great discount through us when you go to fsm.com and you use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peronto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. If you haven't yet made the switch to Fort Scott Munitions Do it today, fsm.com, promo code BATTLELINE. This is the best ammo on the market. This show is also sponsored by our great friends at Photonis Defense. We love them. This is the most high-end night vision on the market. Check it out. You are not going to find this stuff in your stores like Cabela's and that type of thing. This is really for serious professionals, but also just for serious hunters, shooters, who want to use the best night vision out there. Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper binocular night vision system by Photonus Defense. It's the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonus Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. We got Border Patrol using them now. This stuff is awesome. Operators of all branches, people like Justin Sheehan, Navy SEAL, and, of course, Army Rangers like Chris Peranto, who will be back on the podcast soon. I know it's been a long wait for him, but hopefully you've enjoyed these shows. Uh, The new Viper binocular carries the same features and benefits as the Photonist Defense Viper monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses of the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. Become masters of darkness today. Visit PhotonisDefense.com for more information, or look for Defense product options from your night vision dealer. That's PhotonisDefense, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, defense.com now back to our interview with yanmi park no i i agree with what you're saying and i i think part of the problem is so many people in america are struggling not anywhere near to the struggle that you went through in north korea but i think so many of the reasons for the struggling is because of actual government interference and things whether whether it's printing the amount of money that we have Mm -hmm. whether it's the amount of money during pandemic assistance as you were talking about during the pandemic or the amount of money being sent to Ukraine. I mean, that money is not being sent to rescue women like yourself in North Korea. And I think people don't ask the bigger questions of why. Like, why is that our priority right now when there are so many dictatorships around the world? Uh, Russia is not the only dictatorship that is doing what they're doing, but it's almost like we have this myopic focus on one thing and that's all that we can be concerned about. And I think people are not very informed on North Korea because it's not covered by the mainstream media very much.
0: Yeah, because they don't cover North Korea because of Chinese peace. That they know that China is responsible for the North Korean human rights crisis. They are sponsoring this dictatorship. They are buying these girls and selling them and killing and taking their organs out of them. So if the mainstream media cannot talk about it, remember... Based on my first book, they were trying to make a movie about my first book, and the Hollywood producer sent me a script, and in, in the script said China was my promised land, and I got to China, I got the protection, they hurt me and they rescued me, and I called the producer, like, what are you talking about? This is not what happened, and he said, this is the only way we can make a mo- about North Korean movie in the current Hollywood. So the this hijacking of institutions in America right now, the mainstream media, Hollywood, education, all of it now under Chinese control because these people have interests interest of getting Chinese money and distribution rights. So like you said, I think a lot of people don't understand how much our country is now going through struggle, through the lies that is put up by the media, government officials and controlling our speech and, you know, It's it's of course not as bad as North Korea, but if we do not stop here, we are gonna continue to become that way.
1: Yeah, and when it comes to the propaganda out of China as well, I think very few know about the struggle right now. And we covered on the podcast with the Uyghur Mm -hmm. Muslims and them being sent on trains to essentially concentration camps. And America, I think, because of how close we are to China, has not really involved themselves in that major human rights violation going on.
0: Yeah, that's my problem. Like I was writing my new book, Why Time Remains. I was talking about, I was meeting Jeff Bezos. You know, I I went to the Met Gala and all the movers and shakers and the leaders of this, you know, political correctness, this culture. I mean, they denounce slavery that happened in America a long time ago. They say slavery is evil and wrong. Like I completely agree. And there are modern day slaves that sponsored by the communist parties in China. And they don't want to do anything about that. They want to talk about Black Lives Matter, but they don't want to talk about the disigns, you know, in Xinjiang, and their organs are harvested out of them. They get raped, they get sent to prison camps, and they don't talk about that. So the hypocrisy of American elite that is so dangerous. And they are the ones also leading this culture of political correctness, where you you, if you have a wrong speech, that's a hate speech. Therefore you deserve to be silenced, be yeah. to be deplatformed and canceled.
1: Exactly, and the way that they're doing it—I mean, we experience a lot with the podcast—is they're not going to throw you in jail because you say the right, the wrong thing, mm-hmm. but they're gonna—they're—they're going to decrease your speech online, which is where we distribute things. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's basically the the town square now. Is that if you have a podcast or on YouTube, yeah, we're we're going to shut down your reach. We're only going to have the reach of what we want out there, and it's—it's mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely very concerning because. Uh, the people who will disagree with me and you on this will say, "Well, these are private companies doing what they want to do, but they're no longer private companies when they're working with government. It's becoming, uh, it's it's a style of fascism at that point."
0: Yeah, I mean, like I was in the YouTube too. I was making all these videos about how women in China get raped and how they were being, or like during the pandemic in China in their Baidu, like Chinese Google. They could just order North Korean girls to their door, like it deliver Uber, it's delivering your food for like a few hundred bucks to get raped and be your sex toy. Wow. And this was allowed in during the 21st century. And I was talking about this and my views get demonetized and censored and of course get shadow banned everywhere. And I reached out to Google. I was like, you got it." they were saying how we need to believe her, believe women, right? That me too, that women's sexual harassment matters in America. And like this is what happened to other women. Why do you do you guys not support this? And it's like it does not meet our guidelines. Whatever the guideline means. So yeah, it's very vague. <laughs> yeah, it's very vague guideline. And I think because of I mean, of course, like you said, right? In North Korea, you're not you're gonna get executed if you say the wrong things. But in America, currently, still there's a price you need to pay to think for yourself, to speak your mind, and standing up against the mainstream ideology so if we keep putting up with this and eventually nobody knows it, are you going to go back to before or going forward to the north korean path or chinese path i think it's really up to us currently which path we are going to choose
1: absolutely i mean you could answer this but i would i would venture to guess that i'm sure many people who have read your book have said i i agree with the fight that you're in i agree with everything that you're saying but I can't say it because I work for a company. And if I'm vocal about it, they might get rid of me.
0: Of course, I think that it's a, the culture of this corporate American corporation, right? That you need to talk about the diversity of skin color. That's the most equity, even Kamala Harris, our vice president talking about the equity all day long, that evil ideology I mean, AOC, everybody talks about that. And it's, but that is where it comes down to people don't understand. You know, in communism, capitalists get executed. In capitalism, socialists thrives. Bernie Sanders, AOC, all these people that thrive, right? So eventually, I think we need to really make them believe that capitalism is good system. That this ideology of the, you know, capitalism got so demonized. People think the word capitalism is dirty. They don't defend the country anymore because they are—they are brainwashed to think that America is a really inherently evil and capital is an inherently greedy system. And I think that first thing comes from education.
1: Yeah, and what I was going to say too with the the problem of equity, we're we're a very military centric podcast. I'd say about how half of our audience is former military or active duty, and then the other half are civilians like you and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem in the military, a lot of people are seeing is the lowering in standards of recruits. It's, you know, and it's because we have to have more women in the military. We have to have more of this group in the military. And it's no longer, many people feel the strongest military out there. Because when you start lowering standards, especially for special operations military, that, that's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah. they that I mean, even education for the med- medicine, for doctors, they do that. The people We're hearing are about
1: maps. it with pilots. We're hearing pilots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: the United, right? Like The people who are actually dealing with the human life. I mean, it's, for instance, okay, some, like, lecture at the, I don't know, some museum is fine, whoever you want to hire. But when it comes to really life and death decision, they push the meritocracy and competency away and becomes like a North Korean system. where nothing worse right now. Why are country is so poor? Because they... They don't care what how competent you are. Like when somebody told me in South Korea for the first time that, you know, in South Korea, if you work hard, you're going to get rewarded for it. And to me, that was justice. Like I did not know what justice meant, but that, that, that sounded like justice. In North Korea, no matter how hard you want to go out there, work and carry the bricks and work hard, if you were not born in the right that class, and because of even North Korea, the, complete equal socialist paradise, the regime divided us into 51 different classes. You don't get, you don't go get to like university, you don't get the job that you want. And in America now currently, it's like that. Like my son who's a half white and half Asian, he's so screwed. He's yeah. <laughs> on average, he's like on SAT, I think they take like 140 points out of his score. Like he's actively discriminated for being white and Asian.
1: Yeah, and so I even if, saw yeah. recently, and this is an actual. I mean, I could I could probably look it up as I'm talking to you, but it's it's been in the news that the IRS, in terms of uh, auditing, they're going mm-hmm. to target whites and Asians in particular for auditing. And there's yeah. no re- there's no reason to do that. It used to be completely random. And I'm gonna find it just in case people think I'm making this up. I'll find the source on it. But I'm sure you heard about that.
0: No, I mean, I I don't, I'm not surprised. I didn't hear about it, but I'm not surprised at all because what they're doing already.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at it. So this is Fox News right here. Um, IRS accused of using racial equity for audits targeting white Asian taxpayers. And it says here, um, so it's basically the America First Legal Foundation has uncovered this. And uh, yeah, I could get into the whole story here, but what they are alleging is that the uh, the government is going to target certain racial groups in terms of who they're going to audit.
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's a most demonized class right now in America. Like, yeah,
1: so you, keep going, I'm sorry.
0: No, I mean, like, that's the thing, like it's a, you get punished for something that you did not choose, like skin color. Like the greatest injustice is for people being punished for the things they didn't do. Like in North Korea, if the one person commits a crime the three to eight generations get punished for that. It's something called the collective guilt, collective punishment. It's not about you as individuals, it's all about collectivism, right? Sure. And so now in America, we are being collectively punishing white people because supposedly their ancestors owned some slaves. And therefore, you are privileging your guilty. Yeah, That's which is, which is crazy
1: because it's like, if you saw me I guess I am a white person but Mm -hmm. no no one in my family lived in the country when that happened I mean half of my family uh, are the descendants of Holocaust survivors so yeah it's it is crazy to look at someone and say because of your skin tone because of your racial background you're guilty for something that even you may not have any lineage any connection to at all you know what I wanted to ask you about, because mm-hmm. you would offer way more insight into this than I think any guest we've ever had on, and everyone had an opinion on it. Um, the policy of the U.S. in North Korea prior to Donald Trump was basically that we were not going to have any relations with them at all. No American president ever set foot in North Korea or met with Kim Jong-un. It was kind of that George W. Bush line of we don't negotiate with terrorists, and that was our uh, that was our hard line. Donald Trump was the first president, as our audience knows, to go over to North Korea to meet with Kim Jong-un. He did make statements that I think you might, I mean, I think you would find kind of crazy where he said, I fell in love with Kim Jong-un. They seem to have a good relationship on some level. At the same time, uh, there were people saying like, oh, this is going to lead to World War III. and, And none of that happened, of course. But how did you feel about when Donald Trump went to North Korea and met with the leader there?
0: Yeah, I I was actively speaking out against that at the time. And I mean that was the apparently only time they were, New York Times wanted me to put on their front page. <laughs> because I was criticizing Trump, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Every newspaper wanted me at the time. No, no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, my logic a little bit changed, but still the main course stays the same. I do think that Trump had the good intentions. And he's a he's outside of Washington, DC. He's not a career politician. And I do think that he somehow thought like dealing with the, you know, dogs in, the, in, the in the bad part of the city, you build a trust and then you're gonna build up a hotel there, <laughs> you know? Some kind of that logic he had from business background. I think he completely underestimated that Kim Jong-un is a three generation of a dictatorship that has been power in eighty years. Like they know what they're doing. They're very logical and they understand that they have time and Trump doesn't. As long as they buy a the time with Trump and then promise they might be neutralized eventually, then Trump gonna get out of the office and they, the new leader comes in, they need to renegotiate everything. And that takes forever, right? So North Korea can play this game as long as like, they can. And I think Trump didn't understand that by meeting him and sitting down with him and of course complimenting him. Like, you know, he's a great guy. He loves his people. His people loves him. Everybody that like, claps and take the notes when he speaks, right? Like- and
1: They have to, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's, I mean, we get executed otherwise. Yeah. And I think that was a bit of too much. He didn't have to play that hard to Kim Jong-un to trust him because Kim Jong-un will never inherently trust him. He might show that on the surface, but in heaven, North Korea is never going to trust America, like America in any way.
1: Yeah, and I even I, I remember some of the pictures that were criticized of Trump, of, uh, Trump saluting not Kim <laughs> Jong-un, but mem- members of the military.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that was giving a, giving legitimacy to Kim Jong-un for nothing. But the good thing that he did was that he was a strong leader. Initially, when Kim Jong-un was testing all those like, long-range missiles, like, Trump was like my the nuclear is bigger than your scheme zone. Yeah. Like listen to me, right? You do not like harass us. And North Korea was not there to test long-range missiles ever. During that four years, they were not there. Now with Biden, they went back to Obama time where they called the strategic patience is like which means you do not think strategically. <laughs> you don't do anything with North Korea. But now North Korea tests missiles like every day. And that long-range missile is reaching America eventually. That will come destroy this country. That's the goal of that missile. So there's pros and cons. Like, there's a lot of less threat from North Korea under Trump. But with Biden, there's so much actual legitimate threat is coming. And America does not know what to do with that.
1: What do you think should be done with North Korea for whoever's in charge, whether it's by the next couple of years or or whoever's the president for the next four years following that? What would your policy be?
0: China, China has all the keys. Without China, North Korea cannot survive in one like a uh, one week. Kim Jong Un cannot run his country by without China in one day. Everything comes from China. Ch- North Korea does not have oil. And how Kim Dong wanna test the news without oil? Huh. But he cannot drive those tanks and cars in any way. It's yeah. even during the pandemic, China was smuggling all that oil to North Korea during the time. So destroying North Korea is not that easy. They just cut the oil supply and they will collapse on their own. But China refused to do that. So I think whoever comes in next, they do recognize that. This modern day Holocaust is not what I'm saying. The UN investigated for the three years and in their COI report in 2014, the only resemblance that we find in human history is the Holocaust and Stalin's war camps. So Holocaust is repeating North Korea again, and we are denying it. And I think that's the next goal is if we truly care about the safety of America, which is the actual logic threat from coming from nuclear threat from North Korea, that has stopped. And also the human rights crisis. But I, I know that most of people asking me, I'm a human rights activist, they keep asking me, nobody has any problem. The people fighting for dolphins and little ducks, right? And chicken ranges, and they always applaud, like, you are doing such a good work. And for human rights to me, they always come ask, why do I have to care about human rights? I'm like, we are the only ones who can fight for human rights. Do you think dogs are not fight for our rights? Like the Machines are not gonna fight for our rights. We are the only ones who can fight for human rights.
2: Sure.
0: And like that, somehow the human rights is really listing on their priority list. And then human rights doesn't get them act. but so it's got to be American security. North Korea has a legit capability of reaching American mainland and bombing us. And their goal is doing that. And that's why they keep testing their nukes. So if that doesn't scare us, I don't know what should.
1: What would you say though to people who who would feel we need China in order to survive? We need to have a strong partnership with China. They consume so much of our movies out of Hollywood, our entertainment, <laughs> and then we consume so many of their products. I'm sure some of this equipment on my desk is made in China. I'd yes. you know be willing to say, and our iPhones, none of this is it's made in Asia. None of it is made here in the USA. Um, I think a lot of people in power would say it's unrealistic for us not to have a partnership with China. What, what would you say to them?
0: The thing is, why people are America lost their strength is very, in the moral compass that makes us very weak is that we are the ones who having hold hold all the kids. China needs our investment. China needs our uh manufacturers go there and, and start making stuff because we hire them, we we sell products, we pay them, right? China is a huge problem if the American companies don't come and start producing stuff so if china makes more money out of us then we are making money out of them right the the, the surplus of like the trading is so big different china teaches so much so they need us it's, it's not our point yeah. to go beg them to have a trade with us they need to come back us so for us to condition of instead of going to philippines or thailand or south korea or india the countries that are democracy but we can say that if you guys do not stop supporting Kim Jong-un and stop taking our universities and feeding them all this leftist ideology, if you do not mess with us, we can still have those relationship that is mutually respectful, you know? yeah, but somehow, Americans are begging right now because these companies just wanna.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, I, I was just going to say, it must anger you so much when you hear about these prominent American businessmen who move to China and build their industries in China. I mean, when you hear of someone like Eric Prince doing all this work in China, the founder of Blackwater, a guy who created this massive company in America, and then he moves there and helps build their infrastructure. I mean, it it is in some sense treasonous to go over there and do that.
0: Yeah, I think to me it is. I mean, I'm, I'm a libertarian at some point, okay, so it's okay. If you wanna be a bad person, that's fine. But as a government, when your interest is representing your own nation's interest, they are fighting for us, that we hired our politicians to fight for our own interests, our own nation's interests, our border interest. So when the government does that, I think that's where real real problem begins, right? If there are some bad horrible people gonna go run to other countries, that's fine. I mean, of course, as a society, we should keep criticizing them, but when the governments like current America, where they're completely in a, you know, like they don't show the authority of America that our our power to them, and as if somehow trade China is our like equal trading partner, they are not, they are big cheaters, that they're lying about everything, and somehow pretending that, you know, they are not getting any benefits from us. So I think that's why I was very supportive of Trump, how he was so tough on China and he understood that China was uh, cheating on us and we had every power to change it and it was up to us to change that. So hopefully the whoever comes next to our office becomes fighting for American uh, interests for the first time or finally.
1: Absolutely. And then even during the whole COVID-19 pandemic, we saw so many politicians who were even afraid to say this came from China. This came yeah. from the Wuhan lab. They, I mean, I remember uh, the governor here at the time, uh, Governor Cuomo, was calling it a European virus. And yeah. that's totally like the censorship of, of language to to have a different reality, a different spin on what's actually going on in the world.
0: Right. I mean, you're the also in the YouTuber, right? Like, we all had that phase where we could not say that word. You'd get demonetized and censored, and you, and yeah. you were being called a racist. So it's like, how is this a free country? And I think living in New York City does not feel like a free country at all. This country is getting destroyed. Living in Chicago and New York... Somehow you think that progress is a natural course of you know humanity. As the time goes by, we learn more stuff, you know, learn more stuff, and things getting better. No, under communism, things get worse, sure. and it's like that. And it's the left, you know, under lorry right life, life like in Chicago, we are getting destroyed, literally. I mean, New York City, the same thing. So I think that's like where Americans are taking progress for granted. They are taking for their liberty for granted. And if we stop fighting for those values, and you're going to lose it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. And uh, one thing I, I did want to ask you about, and you know, this is a tougher question, but I know that when you put out the first book, there was some controversy. And part of it is the fact that no one, as we said earlier, comes out of North Korea, speaks out. It's a complete blackout on what goes on in North Korea. So I think because of that, logically, people in America mm. are cynical when a book like yours comes out. We've seen so many books come out where people have changed information and it mm. wasn't completely factual. So I'm just wondering, how do you address critics who say, I don't know if this, we can't we can't verify that all of the information in Yanmi's Park is 100% accurate? And it's your story, yeah. so-
0: so I think that's where, uh, I think that's a good journalist always verify. You know, I, I really believe that journalism became such a joke right now in America, nobody verifies anything. So maybe at the time when I was started speaking out, at least journalists were doing their job. But you wouldn't actually believe how many people love North Korea because they hate capitalism America. And North Korea is still officially the only country that is holding a socialist a uh, flag on their nation. So a lot of that was also the Leninist, Marxist, Maoist, you know, communist, democratic, socialist, all of those people hate me for that reason, even back then, because I was criticizing the North Korean regime. But few questions was really rigid, like a, uh, when I was saying I ate grass, I did not eat grass, I ate plants. And I was learning English as an adult at 21, <laughs> When you like type Korean words in Korean dictionary, they give you grass first. So I did not know the nuance between plants and grass difference. And then when I crossed those uh, big mountain here, across that frozen river, they went to Google Earth and checked the altitude of that hill. And basically certain degree is not a mountain. It's a high uh, hill. I still don't know the difference of altitude, but basically they thought that was not a mountain, it was a hill. So okay, that I don't understand. But the other ones they actually questioned was a real one that I had to hide the fact that I was trafficked in China. As I said, I was really judged heavily by the missionaries in South Korea, from South Korea and China. And then I went to South Korea as a 15 years old young girl. And I still wanted to be a mother and getting married someday and have a normal family. But in South Korea, they still blame the rape victims. They don't yeah. blame the perpetrator. They are very conservative countries there. So, I mean, as you can see, I became a mother at 23 in America. That was my dream. And Amazing. I thought there's no way I could, no sane man gonna marry a child who was raped several years in their life as a sex slave and no sane mother, you know, gonna welcome me in their family. So when I came to New America, I was realizing the world can be this tolerant world can be this much less judgmental so but the thing is that was right before the book once the book came out that's when penguin is not stupid they're not gonna do that they i had a, a co-author with me who wrote a book with hillary clinton and other people it's interesting and she came with me she had a voice recording of all the people that i grew up with in north korea who i crossed the desert together so she got the voice recording of them all and gave it to penguin legal team because some of them also misremember later what I said. So it's very important for us to get that voice recording and getting saved. So it was, the book was not written by my memory. It was written by the people that I escaped together and in memory of my mother, my sister, like it, three of us like did not remember the event same way. We did not print the book sure. because we could all have different versions. So only the things and you that- you were went, very young.
1: You were very young. Yeah,
0: right? I was like yeah. 13, like escaping, right? So only things that we put in the book was like all three of us memorized the same way that was all in the recording too we would put in the book and the people we skipped together if that's their version we put their version in the book because they have less biases than us and then that's why I was like ready to sue anybody who was slander but yeah. after the book comes out like nobody would question anything but there was a one article that came out right before the book and then I wanted to defend myself but the penguin was like You know when they go low you go high you don't (laughs) don't be like going down there and saying like you know you did not know the difference between grass and plants just like let it go yeah but now it's like if i were like back then i couldn't have this platform having youtube channel or like spoke better english i would have defended myself but like back then i really couldn't
1: yeah and these are such small discrepancies for such a major book with with so many more important details in it and the The overwhelming you know a message of the book of of both books is what's important to people uh so yeah i what are there any last words that you have in terms of like what you want people to get out of this new book for people who are thinking of picking it up once again it's wild time remains a north korean defector's search for freedom in america i mean if people love the first book or Mm. they didn't start with the first book like what's the main thing that you want people to learn from this
0: i think a The main message is really that I think I'm witnessing our moment of cultural revolution in America. This is a silent revolution. Mm-hmm. Not all revolutions are, you know, <laughs> loud and destroying stuff. Sure. A lot of revolutions can, begins this way, and maybe the last moment we see all the chaos. And I think that revolution began in our education, in our like even diversity training, in our government bodies. I was actually canceled by FBI last year. I was invited to give a speech in FBI Dallas and talk about the plight of nursing women. And then two days before, FBI head of diversity officer calls me. I don't even know why does the FBI need a head of diversity in their department, but they do. He me that because of my political opinions, they cannot invite me to give a speech. And we purely agreed that speech was gonna be only the North Korean people's part and how they're surviving in China. There's nothing to do to American politics. And, and then that's when I realizing none of these people are understanding what it means to be American because I just became American last year. And during my in- in citizenship interview, the officer was asking me, have you ever persecuted anybody for their political opinions? If I said yes, I could not become American. Being American means you cannot persecute anybody for their political opinions. And these people completely lost. They don't know what it means to be American. They don't know what it means to have believing this constitution. So I really hope that people finally recognize the threats that is happening in our country. The darkness is arriving and it is up to us to redefine our nation or I think going this path of China and North Korean path. So it's it's a very critical moment of our history. And it's, you know, freedom is not guaranteed and it's not free. You know, there's always price of freedom. And I hope that more people choose to pay that price right now than later when it comes like North Korea and China, where your generations of people get executed along with you. At least right now, we don't have that price paid right now. It's all you going to pay is maybe your job.
1: Yeah, that's true. and when uh, we saw the protests going on in Hong Kong, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people, a lot of our listeners probably felt like these people understand what it means to be American and the ideals of America more than people who have been here their whole lives. Um, We did see those protesters in Hong Kong flying the the American flag and singing American songs. I mean, Mm -hmm. that that was amazing to see because At least some of them do have a little bit from what we've seen of access to the Internet, unlike North Korea. And they do have some idea of what's out there in the outside world. It's not a complete media blackout. And I think that's what's going to change things. But once again, uh, the book is While Time Remains, a North Korean defector's search for freedom in America, which is out now through Simon & Schuster, at Yanmi Park on Instagram, at Yanmi underscore park, which is Y-E-O-N-M-I underscore park and then at yanmi park nk on twitter uh the one thing that i mentioned really early in the uh interview was your work with link as well liberty in north korea which is a non-profit organization focused on rescuing north korean refugees hiding in china resettling them in south korea and the u.s so that hopefully we can increase that number of people mm-hmm. like yourself who have come over here but this has been an honor speaking with you i mean i've been following you since the first book and and the interview that you did with Joe Rogan, like so many people. And, and I think what you're doing takes a lot of courage to get out there and tell your story.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I'm very honored. <laughs> That's all for this episode
2: of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battle Line Podcast. And on Twitter at Battle Line Pod. To sign up for future Battline Tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit.